This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, that's Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. I'm Karen Brown here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of Mississippi State Parks, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Kevin Farrell is out this week, and our guest today is Richard Brown, director of Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. We have a busy show scheduled for today, and the topic is bees. How many species of native bees do we have in Mississippi? What's the difference between honeybees and bumblebees? You can join the buzz by calling 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. This is Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown in for Kevin Farrell today with Libby Hartfield, a retired director of Mississippi State Parks, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our guest today is Richard Brown, Ph.D., so we'll call him Dr. Brown, and director of Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. We have a very busy show ahead of us to talk about bees. How many bees do we have in Mississippi? Not actual count, but how many types of bees do we have in Mississippi? We'll talk about the difference between bees, like honeybees and bumblebees, and it's going to be a fun show. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. So, Libby, we always start out, what's going on at the museum? Well, goosebumps. The fear of the science of fear is the exhibit right now, or the are there traveling exhibit, there? and there are all kinds of fun and scary things. And but every Friday, well, every day's fun at the museum, but we call it Fun Fridays from ten to twelve every Friday in June and July. There are demonstrations and investigations and crafts all themed around the exhibit. And so tomorrow, being Friday, June the 24th, they're going to talk about bats and why there is a fear of bats and what's the science behind bats. So uh, lots of fun from 10 to 12. And, of course, the exhibits, the permanent exhibits are always fun, and the aquariums are great. And if you're interested in fossils or animals of any kind, a trip to the museum would probably be a good thing to do. It seems that fear of bats always comes with you're afraid they'll get in your hair and they'll flap around on your head, which seems kind of nutty. Yeah, they <laughs> they can fly very close to your face and your hair without ever getting entangled because they're just super flyers. They've got a lot of control in what they do. But I I guess it can scare you if they swoop down. To get, they're usually getting a moth or some other kind of flying insect. I had a bat come out of my kitchen drain one time. It came up out of the drain. I don't know how that was possible. And then it was very disoriented and was flying around my kitchen. I had to call someone in to come 
Wow. Rescue would, the bat and take him away. Yeah, and I would want somebody to check out my plumbing after How that, too. How creepy is yeah. that? Talk about goosebumps. <laughs> okay, moving on. We, we are happy to welcome our special guest today, Dr. Richard Brown. He's director of the Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. Thank you for being with us today. Pleased to be here. Please. Let's start with, before we go to bees, tell us about the museum itself. Well, our museum... Uh, Started in when the university started, we have specimens back in the 1800s, and now we have a right over a million specimens that are processed, and probably that many more in bulk samples. We're concerned with the diversity of insects in Mississippi as well as other southeastern states, conserving habitats where many unique species are found, like our black belt prairie and the savannas. And so we're documenting the diversity of insects that we have and also at the same time doing research on their taxonomy and the systematics. We're describing new species of insects every year. So you're not limited to bees. I mean, no, that's we, what we're talking about today. We we're talking about Our lots. staff include, includes people working on grasshoppers, ants, beetles. I'm a moth guy. Uh, primarily. So we have a diversity of people. Wow. All right. If you have questions or comments, stories about bees, we're focusing on bees today, or pet questions, certainly Dr. Major's here to answer those questions. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING, 1-877-672-7464. Or if you prefer, send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. All right, Dr. Brown, how many types of bees do we have in Mississippi? Okay, when we talk about types or species of bees, uh, we've, we have a listing of over 200 species of bees, of which one is the honeybee, and the other are uh, species that are uh, have been here a long time and are not introduced, and uh, they're native species of bees, whereas our honeybee was introduced from Europe in the 1600s. So of those 200-plus bees, it probably represents a fraction of what we have because we, there's only been two uh, surveys, one by a man who became the leading specialist on bees, missioner, down at Cape uh, uh, when he was at Camp Shelby. And then my graduate student, uh, Beverly Smith, did a survey of bees in the Black Belt Prairie. And right now, uh, the Catherine Perry's over in the – Delta is working on bees and agricultural crop systems with the USDA. When you say there's one honeybee and then there, that means there are 199 other mm-hmm. types or species, can you name a couple of other species? Well, we know them by common names. Um, for example, if we talk about sweat bees, uh, which often come to perspiration on, on people, uh, they, they're ground nesting bees and there's um, probably 70 species or so just in that one family then we talk about mason bees and leaf cutter bees and and some of these make uh nest with cut portions of leaves or with mud uh there are bees that uh come out in the spring and you only see them during the spring months and then the family that includes the honeybee also includes a carpenter bees they include many other types of bees that are important for pollination i'm going to interrupt you there because the phones are starting to ring and we're going to go to the phones and say good morning to fred calling in from petal hi fred all right how do y'all and thanks for taking my call you bet i have a question and a comment first I, i've heard that recently that uh, bats could see, and uh, we've always thought they always went by the, their uh, internal radar to locate the insects for food. But the other comment 
you said something about a uh, bat coming up through your drain pipe. Yeah. The only way a bat could ever get in your drain pipe was uh, your plumbing has to be vented out through the roof, and if you had a, a vent that wouldn't have a cover on it, uh-huh. a bat, the uh, only way it could come out through there would be go through that vent down on top of the roof, down through there. It couldn't turn around and back up, so wow. it was trying to find a place to get out. So that's the only place it couldn't back up, so it came out to uh, where you've seen the bat. I Thank don't live you. there anymore, so that's... Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's, that's great. That's a good explanation. All right, I'm yeah, going to listen about the, whether they can see or not. Okay, bats certainly can see. Uh-huh. They've all got eyes, and they can see, but they... Because of the foods that bat wants, bats want to eat, they are nocturnal mostly. They're in other parts of the world. There's some bats that fly in the day, but here in Mississippi, all our bats are nocturnal, so they're going to be out. They may come out before it gets completely dark, but they're looking for moths and mosquitoes and other kinds of flying insects, and they can see, but when you're flying around at night, um, Radar is a fantastic thing to have, and so they echolocate. Right. And I, uh, you may be able to jump in, Richard, and tell more <laughs> well, things. It's a, but it's so a we fascinating know them for that echolocation. Uh, because uh, some researchers have looked at not only the echolocation of bats, but how some moths will deflect that echolocation or make clicking sounds to confuse the bat or take evasive behavior by folding their wings and dropping down. So there's ways that moths have... Uh, uh, evolve different ways to get around bats. So Richard always knows the insect side of the story, which is, which is yeah, sometimes a lot more interesting than the predator side. Pretty good defensive mechanisms built into moths. Bats are really cool animals, primarily, I guess, because their prey are really cool animals. (laughs) They've got to do increasingly interesting things to catch those moths that are doing increasingly interesting things to evade them. The death dance, so to speak. Yes. yes. Back to the phones we go. Chris is calling in from Mobile. Chris, you have a question about car. Carpenter bees? Yes, I was just wondering about their purpose in the environment. Should I feel bad about killing them? Oh, I feel bad about killing them, too. I was just telling Richard that this morning. They're such interesting animals, and he was telling me more interesting things. Tell us good things about well, carpenter bees. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about carpenter bees, when they make a burrow into a rafter, they'll make two t- galleries that go in opposite directions, and then they go out and collect pollen to make a little pollen cake that they put in a cell, lay an egg, and then they partition it off, make a little cell, and then they go and collect more pollen, and lay another egg. So the first egg laid is often eight days or more older than the last egg laid in the gallery. But if the first egg laid was the first to mature, it would kill the other embryos of the bees on the way out. And so the the copter bee controls the maturation of the egg by giving a lot of yolk to the egg that is first laid. And the last egg laid in that single tube will have no yolk. And so it matures very quickly, and so the last egg laid is the first to hatch, and then they they hatch in succession in reverse order of when they were laid. And like many things, it's difficult to always attribute a purpose to a particular species. Um, and certainly, without carpenter bees, there would be other insects that would be affected. And so we can't get rid of one without affecting other things. And now... I guess they pollinate a lot of plants, right? Uh, Carpenter bees will pollinate, but they're also known for cheating. They'll cut a little slit at the base of a honeysuckle or uh, a long long tube and steal the nectar and really not pollinate. 
that, yes, they can pollinate. That's fascinating. Chris, thanks so much for your call. Thank you. We need to take our first break of the hour. If you'd like to give us a call with a question or a comment, we're focusing on bees today, but we'll take any comments or questions you might have, especially for your pets, because Dr. Major is here to answer those. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or send an email to animals at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back on Creature Comforts from MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from SR1, a nonprofit involved in K-12 education, providing academic and social skills for college access and success. Details on participation and ways to support at 601-853-9773. MPB Think Radio welcomes a brand new Sunday lineup. The new fan favorite, Backstory with the American History Guys, moves to noon to bring historical perspectives to today's events. At 1, Reveal uses investigative journalism to empower the public about tough issues in our society. Then the moth takes over at 2 and celebrates the art and craft of live storytelling. Catch the new Sunday lineup beginning July 3rd on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We're back on Creature Comforts. I'm Karen Brown in for Kevin Farrell today here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi State Parks, and Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Our special guest today is Dr. Richard Brown. He's director of the Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. We're talking about bees today. My question is, is a yellow jacket a bee? Is a wasp a bee? Okay, bees are essentially... A uh, wasp, but they have some modifications. Uh, many of the bees are included with the solitary wasp, but not yellow jackets, which are social wasp. It's the social wasp and the social bees that cause the stinging problems. The solitary bees and the solitary wasp are not as aggressive, and in fact, some of them can't sting. But the the bees are unique different from wasp in that they have hairy hairs on the body that are feathery so that they can gather pollen between all these pieces of the of the hair and so wasp don't have that and so it's this adaptation for carrying pollen that makes bees unique we have an interesting phone call coming in uh is it leela or leila 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 is calling from greenville and you have bees in your house is that right that's right, and they're so high up that no beekeeper will come and get them. They're on a third story um, of the house in the crawl space. We know where they are. They're up under the plyboard that's on the crawl space around the house. But 
we're not supposed to kill them and no want to go up there to get them, and I'm getting stung pretty often, and I am allergic breast, and the thing would swell up on me and everything, and um, I don't know what to do. I'm, you know, 68 years old, and I do not need to worry with stepping on bees, and I live by myself. What do I do? Well, Lena, from what you describe, I've had this in my house where honeybees would come in through a crack in the wall. I'm on this kind of soil that is lends itself for cracking of the masonry and these bees set up a colony right outside my son's bedroom and they buzzed and it was a real problem and uh, there's really no alternative but to get rid of them because of the damage they can do in your house and by, by the accumulation of wax uh, i don't know because there are a lot of them it would be a social bee and the only one doing that would probably be a, a honeybee so yeah. I had to get an attachment from a hose and get some uh, chemical pesticide and spray into the crack where they entered to to get rid of the bees. And uh, it's either that or take all the bricks off the house, which was not practical. In an instant like instance like that, you don't need to feel guilty about killing those honeybees, I think. I mean, it's we, we'd like no. to not kill them when we don't have to, but if they're in your house and you're allergic, you're going to have to get an exterminator right. or something. Okay, who would be, is there a list of people? Do I go somewhere to find them? But the ones around my area will not do it. Oh. Why won't they do it? They, they just don't well, want to... I think because they, tell, because they tell me that they are not supposed to kill them. We're not supposed to kill them. And I said, but but they're bothering me, and I'm they're just always in the house buzzing around, and I've stepped on them, or I've been looking at television, they've crawled up my leg and stung me. I mean, I think if they... I had yeah, okay. you could call um, while... Um Oh, gosh, I don't have their phone number with me, but the wildlife control people there at Mississippi State Extension, you might call them and see if they can help. The wildlife extension? Extension at, at Mississippi State. If you go online at Mississippi State, it used to be called Animal Damage Control. Now it's Wildlife Services. Wildlife so it could, Services. Yes, and, okay. and, and put a call into them. Yeah, a lady told me that she called Mississippi State she had an elderly mother that had an attic and yeah. that, that they uh, did get remove them, you know, by killing them. They said it was an, it's an emergency that they do that. Yeah, if you can remove them, great. But if you can't, like Richard talked about, you you, you know, you just do what you have to do sometimes. Yeah, well, when yeah. you start getting stung, you can't live in your own house. It's pretty yeah. bad. And you want to get them out pretty quick. If you get a bunch of honey and a wall oh, cavity well, and all. They've been up there for over 10 years, so there's right. no telling how much is in uh, that attic. Dr. Brown is exactly right about uh, the damages they can do. Uh, we uh, deconstructed an old farmhouse, and the bees may have been there for decades. I don't know, but there were several hundred pounds of wax and honey oh. uh, in that wall. They had made a complete... Uh, I don't know how long they've been there, but it, it was obvious that they'd been there a long time. It may and, be why the exterminator didn't want to do... Well, do anything at her house. Right. But uh, there are people that are involved with, uh, I would say, wildlife control, uh, maybe not necessarily the bees, but I would I would talk to the Extension Service and then uh, just keep going with it because somebody will take care of it and help you, I'm sure. Leela, we wish you the best. That, that yeah, sounds like a tough situation. What I've heard, one of the problems, too, is if there's honey still in the wall, that will still attract more bees to come. So that's going to be a problem that you'll have to deal with. All right. Good luck with the extension service. We appreciate your call. Staying on the phone now, Mikey calling in from Mobile with a question about bees and wasps. Go ahead, Mikey. 
Hey, uh, listen, I can so sympathize with Leela. Um, I have had that happen in my house before. Um, uh, it was between a, a brick facade and a sheetrock wall. And the only thing that we could do, I tried calling everybody. I tried saying, you know, beekeepers, please come get these bees. But um, uh, it, we ended up having to have them uh, taken care of by professional exterminators. Um, but, but the question that I called in with is that... Um, I myself am allergic, uh, not to bees, but to wasps. And so my question is, uh, is there a difference in the venom that they have? And is uh, I carry a little bottle of apple cider vinegar with me just in case, so I can put it on in my pocket all the time when I'm outside to, you know, get it on there within 30 seconds. Is that effective? Uh, Because I am allergic to wasp stings, but not bee stings. Okay, Okay, Mikey. Dr. Brown? Yes. uh, There's different levels of of, uh, allergenic responses to venoms of bees and wasps. And the most serious type is when you go into have an anaphylactic reaction. I myself uh, became allergic to fire ants several years ago and had an anaphylactic reaction. And so I had to carry an anakit with me for a couple of years. And that allergy uh, eventually subsided. But different ants, bees and wasps, will have different alkaloids in the venom. And so each one has a specific allergen that may be the problem. So uh, what will uh, get you around one species of wasp or bee won't affect the other. So you would need to get some medical opinion and advice. If you're having severe allergic reactions, you need to see a physician about that. Thank you, Mikey, for your call. Moving on, Anna is calling in from Clinton. Do you have a bee problem, Anna? Yes, we do. I just noticed yesterday a number of dead bees on the driveway, and uh, I looked up uh, up into the um, Soffit Eve area of the house, and there's a large cluster of uh, very much alive bees um, there, uh, about the size of a, a man's straw hat, maybe, you know, a nice cluster. And why are they doing this? <laughs> well, uh, Anna, the honeybees are known for swarming. Uh, uh-huh. They they will swarm uh, with the workers and the queen to find a new location to nest. And I've seen this, many people have seen this ball of bees that will uh-huh. get up in a tree, or it can be on a, wa- uh, a portion of your house. So there's two things that will happen. They will eventually leave and go somewhere else, or they find some entryway into your house and could possibly nest in your attic or crawl space if there's vents or other areas where they can enter. Well, we haven't gone up there into the attic to see if they're coming through yet, but I was concerned because, you know, we hear about people getting stung, plus uh, there's always the possibility that we have some of these uh, rogue uh, bees that the... the, uh, you're talking about the that are deadly, the African, the Africanized honeybee. We, uh-huh. yeah. uh, those are mostly tropical. We've had picked them up on the Gulf Coast, but uh, not, we don't get those in the northern rest of the state. Now, but the bees not will yet. swarm, <laughs> and and uh, so you and they can move on. They may be in one location for a while, or they can move on. And so, uh, the uh, thing to do is make sure that they're not entering your house. Okay. Do think we should see about getting them down, uh, get rid of them. They're uh, not honeybees. Uh, I, mean, I used to have two hives 
at home, and I know what honeybees look like. These are strange-looking. They're thicker and almost fuzzy-looking. I don't know what kind of bee that would be because the only social bees we have here in Mississippi are bumblebees and honeybees that form groups. Uh-huh. Uh, and so um, I can't answer that question. If it's if it's not a honeybee, I'm not, I don't know what it could be. Okay, well, maybe they look different when they're dead. I don't know. <laughs> That's possible. Spray them down or with something or, or just leave them alone. I would leave them alone. They'll move on, I guess, right? They'll move on? Well, hopefully. And like I said, if they if they set up in your house, then you have to get professional help. All, All right. right. Best of luck to you, Anna. If you'd like to give us a call, we're talking about bees today. We haven't even gotten to bumblebees yet, but the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 You can also send an email, if you'd like, to animals at mpbonline.org, and we'll keep answering the phone as long as people are calling. Jim, calling in from Alabama. Go ahead, Jim. Good morning. How are you today? We're doing great. I've got a question. Um, I've got a swimming pool, and I've got triangular beds in it. And it seems to be, they look like tiny little black bees coming out of the ground. They swarm around an opening there on the ground, but you can walk right through them. They don't bother you. They don't sting you. They do. Are they be- is this a bee, and is it beneficial? Well, it sounds like a ground-nesting uh, native bee, and we should consider them beneficial. Many of them uh, nest in holes in bare places of the ground. And if you can imagine a a bunch of grapes that's underground, you've got the stalk of the grapes that is the entrance. And then each berry of the grape would be a different cell in which they raise their brood. But uh, there's different families of bees, two principal ones that are ground nesting, and they're not aggressive because they're solitary. So there's no need to be concerned about them. In fact, some of them are so small that they're incapable of stinging. Mm-hmm. Sounds okay, like you're great. safe, Thank Jim. Thank you very much. Thank you. We're getting a lot of calls from Alabama today, including Louise. Louise, you have a funny bee story. Are bees funny? Uh, well, they were very, very nice to me. <laughs> I, I have um, broken a quart jar of honey in my back seat. It rolled off the seat and... Anyway, it was awful, awful trying to clean up my car. Took that brown square carpet out and washed it with dishwashing and brushed it and power washed it, and I couldn't get the sticky out of it, so I just left it out on the lawn to dry. And the next day it was a different shade of brown, and I got closer. It was solid bees, just solid. And um, I left it alone, and the next morning... Some of them left from the center on out. They were through eating that honey in it. And and the center got bigger and bigger and bigger until they got to the edge and they were gone. And my carpet was clean. (laughs) Thank you, bees. Thank you. (laughs) That's quite a story. No more sticky. That's hilarious. And um, somebody has called in for the Greenville caller. Oh, okay. Mississippi State Extension in Washington County. If she's still listening, they, they evidently they can render some help with the bees in her house. Six six two three three four twenty six seventy is the. We'll give that ex- number again in just a few minutes. If you're still listening, grab a pen and we'll say it again. Louise, in the meantime, thank you for sharing that story with us. Yes. It's funny. All right. So again, the listener from um, Greenville, if you want to. Uh, 
Just wait or go grab a pen and we'll give you that number again in just a second. Let's talk about bumblebees. How do they fit into the to the world of bees? Okay, <clears throat> bumblebees are the conspicuous ones. Uh, I have a funny story to tell. I had a friend in North Dakota, and they didn't have a whole lot to do up in North Dakota, evidently. And he and his brother used to play a game of catch the bumblebee. They'd go to a flower and cup their hands around the bumblebee and shake it. Well, if you're shaking your hand, holding that bumblebee, it can't sting because it's got a latch on. And then he and his brother would play catch, throwing this bumblebee. And the loser would be obvious as to who <laughs> lost the game. But bumblebees are a social native bee that are the largest of the bees that we have in our area. And they are important pollinators. They're generalists. They'll pollinate a lot of different things. But they have uh, a kind of pollination habit that is different. It's called uh, buzz pollination. They'll go and they'll attach to a flower, land on a flower, and vibrate their wings. And when they do that, it shakes the pollen free and gets on their bodies. And they do that as well as a, a bee that is important in, in, in pollinating blueberries. Blueberries are difficult to pollinate because they've got a uh, anther that is tubular. You've got to shake the pollen out. Uh, honeybees are not the best pollinators, but these bees will beat their wings and shake that pollen and get it on their body. So bumblebees are interesting. We have six different kinds, six different species of bumblebees in Mississippi. Wow. All right. We're going to... Um we're going to take our second break of the show. Sherry, we're going to take your call when we get back. If a woman from Greenville is still listening, let me give you that number again. This is for the Mississippi State University Extension uh, Service. It's 662-334-2670. We're talking about bees today on Creature Conference. We'll be right back. This election year has been unpredictable, and November is still months away. But you don't have to keep up with every twist and turn. You just have to keep up with us. Listen every day. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Hi, this is Steve Inskeep. We've been interviewing voters from suburban Levittown, Pennsylvania, to incredibly diverse Jersey City, New Jersey, and beyond. We're in the region that gave you two presidential candidates, and now we're on a train bound for Providence, Rhode Island, where we get the view from the Northeast before a live audience on the next Morning Edition. This morning at 5 on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
We're back on Creature Comforts. I'm Karen Brown here with Libby Hartfield, retired director of Mississippi State Parks, Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson, and our special guest, Dr. Richard Brown, director of the Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. We are talking about bees today, and we have another caller who's having a problem with bees in her house. Hi, Sherry, calling from Alabama. Yes, um, I found myself last year this time in the same situation as the earlier caller with the um, infestation of bees and being allergic. And um, I had a very difficult time finding someone to come out and remove the bees, whether or not they kill them or take them live. Um, of course, they were telling me that it is illegal to kill honeybees because um, there's a shortage or, you know, they're endangered, and no one would exterminate them. And I called six or seven different exterminators just getting the same answer. I finally located someone out of Mississippi, and it was called, um, his company is Honeybee Rescue, Honeybee, and it's www.honeybeerescuer.com and I have a phone number if you want me to give that but he was able to come out with um, all kinds of equipment he had scaffolding he was able to get up over because it's located they were in the eaves over 50 feet if that makes sense he pulled um, he smoked them out he took out the queen he there was over 150 pounds of honeycomb that he removed from my house he uh, packed everything up really well so they wouldn't return. He he added, before he did that, he painted it with something special to cover up the smell. So he really knew what he was doing. Um, and he did an excellent job. So I don't know if that she wants that recommendation. but that, that, Dr. Brown, you were shaking your head. It is not illegal to no, kill bees? No, it is not. Well, that's what all the exterminators were telling you. <laughs> yeah, they're not. They don't have any kind of protected status because they're not a native animal. They're a commercial, a commercial animal. Really. Maybe the other ones you've caught, the exterminators are afraid of bees. And that's why they haven't caught. Well, and, and plus, it was fifty feet up in the air, and you would have to have. You couldn't get up there with just a ladder. You had to have scout. That may have been an yeah. excuse they were trying mm-hmm. to give you. Yeah, yeah. afraid possibly. of bees and afraid of heights. Mm-hmm. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly, but no one would do it. But I found this young man, and he, like I said, has a nice website. Um, he did an excellent job. He put them, you know, he bucked them up, put them in his truck, and he left with them. <laughs> well, you're calling from Alabama, so it's probably a ways from Greenville. No, he, he's out of Mississippi. So oh, he I'm, is. Okay. Yes, Go ahead and give that website again. We'll go with that. It's www.honeybeerescuer.com, and then we do have a phone number, too, if you want to. It's a 228 so I don't know how close that is to Greenville. Honeyboo okay. be risky. We'll just go with the website. That's great. Sherry, thank you so much. Good information. Well, good luck. Thank, thank you. Um, I want to talk about, if you can, stings, bee stings. Are there some stings that are more painful from different kinds of bees? Do, you mean they, do they differ from bee to bee? Um, there's certainly a difference between, say, a honeybee and a paper wasp in terms, in my opinion. And there's actually been... There was an individual who compared the stings of various kinds of ants and things. But uh, the sting uh, of the native bees outside the honeybee and bumblebee is supposedly not that severe. I've been stung by them. It might differ with the individual regarding your response to the allergen. But the the stings of, of bees are not normally anything to be concerned about. I so mean, bumblebees, wasp, or honeybee, there's no real... 
problem between any of those? Well, there there are different kinds of venoms, and it depends on the individual if you have developed an allergenic response to one of the venoms. If you're not allergic and you just want to get rid of the pain, I know my mom used to make a paste out of uh, baking soda and water and put that Uh on the bee sting, and then as it dried, it helped. For some reason. Well, growing up, I mean, I heard I used jewel weed. I used, my daddy had pipe tobacco, and I put <laughs> wet tobacco yeah. on the sting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of home remedies, and but in, in normal situations, the sting will last for minutes or uh, a short time, but it's not, you know, going to be something that causes intense pain for very long. Having been stung by many different, <laughs> either bees or wasps, I would attest to the fact that the paper wasp. The old red wasp uh, oh, yeah. is probably the most oh, painful. Yes. I can remember walked out uh, one time and didn't realize there was a nest at the front door and uh, got stung right above the eye. Oh. And uh, that, that was quite painful. But uh, bee sting, right, right. Not, not that bad. I've had headaches from paper wasp nests. Yeah. Stings. I have a a little thing of wasps, a little nest of wasps that's forming outside my house. Is there? I mean, they're not bothering me. There's only about three or four wasps on it. Should I get rid of it before it gets bigger or let it go? If it's something that's, if you go in and out of your house, I had some in a double door that were nesting. And so long as it's small, but if they start coming at you, you should get rid okay. of it. So far, so good. Uh, <laughs> if they're aggressive and they're diving at you, yes, get rid of it. All right. John is calling in from Moss Point. Hi, John. Hi. Um, recently, um, let's see, my cat ran away. Uh, another cat had chased her off, and so we trapped the cat who chased her off. And uh, she came back, and obviously something really bad has happened to her uh, while she was gone. Um, I mean, she, does, she um, just acts really traumatized. And um, all the stray cats who in in this neighborhood are uh, very, um, I don't know, tough looking. So I would assume it's rough out there. And she she holds her head like cocked to the side and close to the ground. And we can't figure out what's wrong. We took her to the vet who looked in her ear and rotated her head around uh, to see if any bones were broken. And um, also he looked in her mouth and he uh, said he couldn't find anything wrong with her. She's recovering um, to a great extent, but we were wondering, uh, she, you know, she still holds her head um, tilted to the side um, and um, kind of closer to the ground. And, and I was wondering if you have any ideas. About that. Right. Certainly a toxin could cause this. Uh, we see, see that. Is she kind of, is she an outside cat or inside cat? And now she's completely okay, an inside good. cat. She, she won't and, even go. Out. And I know a lot of viewers may laugh at this. Dr. Brown may laugh at this. But uh, we see, and if you go online or, or talk to your vet about it, th- there is a toxicity concern uh, with a skink uh, in the blue tail stage. Cats can't resist that. But there have been reports where you have vestibular apparatus upset, uh, and this can last for weeks. Uh, if she's eating and drinking, it should dissipate at some point. Now, it's also possible she could have been injured. Uh, the vet indicated that probably not injured. But uh, I, I would say you could research that and look. But did he put her on any medication? No. Okay. Sometimes steroids will help with this. But uh, if she's getting better, I would just keep her inside. 
remember the uh, saying that uh, uh, inside cats live a whole lot longer than outside cats. And that's, the blue-tailed skink. Yes. Uh, okay. That's uh, some people will laugh at that, but actually, I've seen follow-ups where the uh, uh, cat's owner saw them eat the skink. Very irresistible. They skitter around and uh, what cover. What is a skink? It's a lizard. Yeah, a little lizard. It's, oh, one yeah. of those little. Right. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has a blue tail in a certain stage. Now, at some point, that blue tail uh, dissipates. I don't think it as they become adults. But uh, it's irresistible to a cat that's outside, and we do see that, and people have seen them eat the skink and uh, later develop the uh, vestibular apparatus upset. So that's a possibility, but it sounds like she's getting better, so let's uh, keep her inside and see how she does. Good luck to you. Thanks, John. Good thoughts to your kitty. We need to take our last break of the show, and then we'll come back and take our phone call from Graham. So, Graham, you hang on the phone. We're talking about bees today on Creature Comforts. If you'd like to call in, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring one 672 7464 You still have time to send an email as well to animals at mpbonline.org. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. This election year has been unpredictable, and November is still months away. But you don't have to keep up with every twist and turn. You just have to keep up with us. Listen every day. Daily at 4 on NPB Think Radio. The free state of Jones. Legend holds that this sparsely populated region of Mississippi seceded from the Confederacy during the Civil War. And the leader of the Free State, Newton Knight, was he a traitor to the South who became a murdering bandit? Or was he a man of courage fighting against an oppressive government? What really happened more than a century ago, deep in the piney woods of Mississippi? Premieres Thursday, June 23rd at 7 p.m. on MPB. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. Our topic is bees today. Our special guest, Dr. Richard Brown, director of the Mississippi State Entomological Entomological Museum in Starkville. And our phone lines are just lighting up, so let's... Let's not waste time. Graham calling in from Starkville. You have a comment, Graham. Yeah, uh, Dr. Brown may know something about this incident. I wondered how feasible it is to uh, to make a uh, put a bee excluder over the primary uh, inlet uh, entrance and exit uh, of the bees, which requires plugging all alternative exits. You put an excluder over one ho- opening, and uh, the bees can only come out. It excludes the possibility of them coming back in. I made an excluder out of window screen, fairly simple, about little rolled up cone, cone a little uh, longer, 
and smaller end than a thimble, than a woman's sewing thimble, and uh, it worked very well to uh, to uh, harvest a colony that was that was stuck in a, a church wall. I just wondered: is it feasible to to do that, or will the queen and the and those bees that don't get out live forever on the honey that's already stored? So <laughs> live forever. <laughs> well, the queen is a, a larger bee, and of course the drones are larger than the worker bee, the male. Uh, but uh, if it works, it works. But I, I'm not had any experience with such bee excluder. It sounds like a good idea. I, I'm not sure it would be entirely successful all, all of the time. Um, but certainly, that's anything's worth trying. But ultimately, it may uh, require the uh, elimination of the bees using chemicals. Very cool. Thank you so much for calling, Graham. All right, we're going to stay on the phones. Thad is calling in from Jackson. Thad, go ahead. Uh, yeah, just uh, I've never been physically ill from a bee or a wasp sting. However, I, I have been stung uh, before by a yellow jacket and felt actually physically ill beyond the pain of the actual sting. And I'm just curious how yellow jackets fit in to the genetic mix, you know, of bees and wasps and things that fly and sting, if that, if that makes sense. Um, yellow jackets, uh, Thad, are, are, again, some of the paper wasps, but the yellow jackets nest in the ground and have their paper nest in the ground. Now, they're related to ball-faced hornets that make an aerial nest in a tree. Uh, these yellow jackets and hornets are in a different subgroup from the things we normally call paper wasp, the polistes, that make a single layer of, of the comb. Uh, in protected areas under eaves, eaves of houses. I even found a, a nest in a swing set when my son was stung. Uh, and they make a single layer of comb, and they don't have as large of colonies as the yellow jackets and hornets that can have tremendous numbers. But they're all in the same family of wasp, and they all can, uh, can be aggressive, they're social, and they can have painful stings. All right, that I hope that answers your question. Thank you for calling. And now we have another home <laughs> with bees, and Jeff is calling in from Florence. Hi, Jeff. Hey, how y'all doing? Good. Okay, I lived in a house over in Jackson. It was probably built in the 40s, and there was like three sections of wall that the bees had done moved into. Uh, they redid the walls, and then after we moved in about a month, all that honey or whatever stuff from the bees started coming back through the wall again. I went and bought some wire screen, maybe a box. Went and bought a little cheap funnel with a small end on it and tacked it to the wall where they could come out and they, they would go back in there. After I thought I caught all of them, I took some extra grease and put it by the holes they were going in and they never come back. Axle grease is the key. Does that make sense, Dr. Brown? <laughs> I've not heard of that, but that's uh, innovative, uh, Jeff. That's probably, uh, if it worked for you, maybe we should listen to your advice. Uh, it worked for me. They got to where they were staying the kids, because it's like right there by the driveway where they had to come in. So they started having to go around the back of the house to get into the house. So I just tried that, and I just tried the axle grease and put it around the hole, and they up. Play plopper, and they wouldn't go in there, and they left, 
And then finally, you know, you can sit in the living room, cut TV off, you can hear them in the wall buzzing, and they never, they never come back. <laughs> Well, Jeff, thanks for that idea. That's really interesting. We appreciate it. Now all of our phone lines are lit up. It looks like Malcolm is calling from Jackson. Malcolm, go ahead. Hi. Uh, I wanted to find out about carpenter bees, and uh, do they keep on expanding their tunnels? Uh, I've got a father-in-law that he keeps on wanting to plug up the tunnels, and then it just seems like they go and dig another tunnel, um, whereas I think it just leave them be and uh, let them let them do their thing in the tunnel, but um, I don't know if they're going to keep on digging and digging and, and eventually weaken the, the wood structure. Well, the carpenter bees have very powerful mandibles for chewing into wood, and so, yes, uh, they can uh, reinfest the wood. Now, I cannot, I don't know enough about the biology to know that if you have one generation or, or one carpenter bee if it will make multiple holes or not, um, but they will come back every year, and uh, and they will repeat repeatedly burrow into the wood. But I I don't know um, how many separate burrows one individual could possibly make. Uh, all right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Malcolm. There is a, a spray that you can use mm-hmm. to uh, uh, kill the bees. Uh, those carpenter bees. It's called Timbor. And uh, it may be that uh, he needs to use that, especially if they're excessive. I've got like one or two that I've seen, but I've left them alone so far. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they don't sting, which, or at least I don't think they sting. And uh, uh, well, the the females do. The females, the, females the, can. the males. Yeah. If, they, if it's right. got a yellow face, you can catch it. It'll right. hover in front, and you can right. reach out and grab it. Right. Okay. Right. But we've used Timbor successfully. Right. You can either spray it or paint it on, and that right. way you don't have to, you know, broadcast it in a big area. But right. if there's unpainted wood mm-hmm. that they are repeatedly bothering, and there are good um, patterns for traps that you can build to catch carpenter bees if you need right. to, and that way you don't have to use poison that's right. going to affect other beneficial insects. All right, we have one more call to take, and it's a combination of, of uh, Dr. Brown, your expertise, and Dr. Major, yours. Janet is calling in from South Haven. Do you have a, an encounter between a puppy and a bee? Yes. Um, my, I have bees that fly around my house every once in a while, and one got into the house, and my puppy started chasing it. And I was running behind the bee and the dog because I, I was worried that if she caught it, it's stingers. So, and what would I do if something like that happened? Right. This is a fairly common occurrence with uh, puppies, especially, and older dogs as well, or cat even. But uh, usually, the cat's smart enough and quick enough to get out of the way. But the uh, thing that I would do or suggest, especially for swelling, uh, Benadryl uh, would be uh, certainly advised, and you could give like. Uh, one milligram per pound of children's Benadryl uh, to the puppy if it was showing signs of reaction. Okay, and that's it? Just if That should All be right. okay, okay? All right, well, thank you. Yes, Would you say one milligram per pound? Pound, yeah. Yes, and that's the same for adult dogs? Yes. Uh, in most cases, it's thank something you, that's going to go away pretty rapidly. Uh, it may be painful, depending on the type of, as we've talked about, the type of bee or wasp. But uh, I think that certainly it could be uh, could be helped with some antihistamine Benadryl. 
We just have a couple of minutes left, more like 90 seconds. Uh, Dr. Brown, I wanted to get some final thoughts from you about the interaction between people and bees. Well, thank you for asking. Uh, in addition to what we think about in terms of the stinging, uh, there are more and more people who are managing native bees to increase pollination. And indeed, there are greenhouse bumblebees that are used, but there are other people that are constructing bee barns or bee houses to increase the number of native bees to serve as pollinators of flowers. And if people could do more in terms of planting native plants uh, around, that would increase our native bees. But there's many ways in which we can increase the number of native bees, not just the honeybee, but increase the number of native bees that some think are, some are declining in number, some, perhaps from competition from honeybees, but also from pesticides or other factors. And so we as people uh, living in, in the natural world should do all that we can to try to increase that diversity of native bees. Dr. Richard Brown, Director of Mississippi State Entomological Museum in Starkville. Thank you so much for coming in today. Thank you for having me. Very informative. Creature Conference is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting, Think Radio, and the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science. Funding is provided in part by the Mississippi Museum of Natural Science Foundation and contributions from listeners just like you. To hear today's show or previous shows, visit mpbonline.org slash creature comforts. You can also download the MPB Public Radio app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone whenever you like. Today's show was produced by Jonas Adams, our call screener, Liz Gill. For Libby Hartfield, Dr. Major, and Dr. Brown, I'm Karen Brown. Up next at 10, MPB Season Pass with Jay White and Sam Wells. Tune in next Thursday at 9 for Creature Comforts only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.